So um, this is gonna sound silly, but the first thing that I did after the second time I went to rehab is I Googled, how do I love myself? I Googled that because the second time I went to rehab, I said, I went on my own. It wasn't because I ran out of money. It wasn't because my parents made me, I went. I wanted to stop the chaos. And that's the thing, no one really teaches us how to love ourselves, truly. It's time to create a life that's better than your dreams with the I Heart My Life show. I'm Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your I Heart My Life show host. This is your one-stop shop for all things personal development meets lifestyle. So pull up a seat, get out a pen and a paper and get ready to learn. Welcome to the I Heart My Life show, Vasavi. I am so pumped to have you here. I know it's going to be an incredible conversation full of lots of truth bombs, maybe even some tears on my side, (laughs) Um, and just lots of joy and wisdom. So thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. It's, It's truly a joy to be here and just I cannot wait to just get into this conversation with you. Me too. So our conversation on your podcast was one of my favorites. So I'm excited to turn the tables here. And I want you to take us back and share a little bit about your story behind the success and behind the woman you are today. Thank you so much. Um, If I were to really pinpoint the story of Vasavi and how she became who she is today, I would say like the best story that I can really think about is When I was younger, I grew up in a home where uh, I'm the daughter of Indian immigrants. My parents came here in 1974 to New York, and um, they wanted the best for my sister and I, right? That's why most people come to the U.S. They want a better opportunity for themselves. Uh, My mom is a retired cardiologist. My father is a retired CPA. And um, it's funny because when I've shared this story about them before, it's always been really charged with a lot of uh, anger and resentment. And as I've learned to heal the voices in my head by saying it out loud, which is what I talk about in my book, it's interesting. The way that I want to start this off is really with a lot of love and gratitude for my parents. And I don't think I've actually ever done that before. It's always been about, oh, there was a lot of fighting in the house. It was very chaotic. It was unpredictable. It felt emotionally unsafe at times, which is all true. Um, But what I really want to say is that all the things that I went through in my life, you know, being raised in an all white town, being made fun of for being brown, having a name like Vasavi, um, and just the different paths that I took to get back to myself. And, you know, the paths that I've taken, Emily, haven't always been the healthiest, right? From getting married way too soon, thinking that that was going to heal me, from uh, substance abuse um, to my addiction, my recovery, and just healing my own codependency. The one thing that really sticks out when I think about saying it out loud is when I was four or five years old, I remember being in my bedroom. My sister and I shared a bedroom and I could hear my parents fighting. It was actually my mom. You know, she was frustrated with my dad for whatever reason why people fight. You know, I didn't know. But I remember waking up. It must have been around midnight. And I said to my sister, I need to stop this fighting because we couldn't sleep. And my sister was like, just shut up and just like go to sleep. Right. But I couldn't. That's just not how I was born. I was like, if something was wrong, I had to fix it. And so I remember going into our TV room, which is this big, great room, that big, big room that we had. And my dad was sitting down. My mom was standing up. She was kind of, you know, raising her voice at him. And he just, you know, my dad was the kind of guy who just would shut down. My mom was the more vocal one. But I remember standing in between between them and mediating them from a young age. And I said, okay, mom, you say what you need to say. Okay, dad, you listen to what mom has to say. Okay, mom, you say it out loud. 
And then my dad would listen. And then I would say to my dad, okay, now you tell mom how you feel. You know, you express yourself. I mean, no four or five-year-olds should be mediating their parents, but that really set off my journey to understand why we behave the way that we do. And I've, and I, even at that age, I just had this feeling like if we all just said how we truly felt out loud and we listened to the other person, truly listened, not from a place of defending or arguing, I really believe like we can all just get along. Like we can all just get along and we don't have to be the same, right? We don't have to be the same to get along, but if we just uh, like healed the voices in our head that made us believe that the other person's out to get me or this. And if we just dropped into the humanity of the other person, we could all just get along. Now, to this day, my parents still bicker. <laughs> Not as much because my father can't speak as much because he has a neurological condition. But I still believe that if we, if we really heal the voices in our heads, then we would be able to just love one another, truly. And it starts with us. And um, that's that's who I am. That, I mean, that that story right there just kind of exemplifies why I do the work that we do. I I just felt growing up, you know, my parents had so much pain that they didn't know how to process. You know, in the Indian culture, we don't go to therapy. You know, I'm the first in my family to break that generational cycle of addiction and mental health, I believe, because I went to therapy at 12. So um, I learned how to say it out loud and express my feelings at that age. Um, my parents didn't get that chance, you know, but here I am on your podcast talking about something that I don't think many people in my culture have had the privilege of be, you know, being able to do is, is really take care of their mental and their emotional health. So, and so at 12 years old, how did you, I mean, I assume your parents paid for you to go to therapy. Like how did that conversation even come up? How did you ask for that? What was your experience? I actually write about this in my book. This is one of the first stories that I share. So, um, like I said, I grew up in a in in a town that was it was a little rough. I I, did, I grew up in a rough town, you know, and um, it was hard for me because I was the only Indian girl, maybe one or two Indian families at that time, and I really wanted to fit in. So I smoked my first cigarette when I was twelve years old, so I could fit in with the cool girls. Note to self never do that again. You don't need to fit it. I mean, like if I could go back and tell, tell 12 year old Vasavi, I'd say like, you do not need to do that. Um, but my mom caught me. She, because, um, I wasn't very savvy and I, I would, I tried to flush a cigarette down the toilet. She <laughs> found it. She did not know how to handle that. Right. I mean, she comes from India and here she is, her daughters in the Western world. She's smoking. Like this is not something that Indian girls do. And my mom said to me, you're going to be the reason why your father dies of a heart attack. Right. Uh, she said, you know, you're, you're doing all these things. And so at that age, I, you know, they didn't sit me down and say, hey, why are you why are you smoking cigarettes at 12? You know, um, and I remember we were standing in the kitchen that evening and my parents were fighting with each other about me smoking. And I remember feeling so much shame because I felt like it's my fault that they're fighting. Right. I internalized that. It's my fault. And I, I remember saying out loud, I'm, I think I mostly screamed it out loud, but I was like, I cannot talk to you guys. I need to go to therapy. I have no idea, Emily, how I even knew about therapy. I, I don't, I, I must've heard somebody say, I don't know, but I said to, I said to them, I need to go to therapy. And um, they said, yes. I said, I can't talk to either one of you. And my father talked to one of his clients who recommended a therapist, Virginia Cummins, who I still talk to from time to time just to make sure she's still alive because I started seeing her when I was 12. She must be in her mid eighties. Now I, I will randomly call her up. And be like, Virginia, you still around? 
So yeah, I mean, I'm very, very lucky and grateful that they weren't like, you know, typical Indian parents. I'd be like, you don't need therapy. You don't need to do that. And I, I think the reason why they were open to it um, is because two years prior, my father's younger brother, Lakshmi Kumar, um, my father found him uh, hanging, uh, hanging from a fan in India. And I think my father just knew if my daughter does not get the help, because he could just see, you know, no 12 year old should be smoking. That's just the gateway to all the other things. And I did do all the other things, by the way. It's not like the therapy was, it's, I still went down that path, but I think my father was just like, uh, uh, we're not going to have a repeat of this. So they were very open to putting me in therapy. I'm very lucky. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, that's, uh, thank you for sharing that so openly. And mm-hmm. you did mention that, you know, certain other things transpired and you did try other things in the future and make some ch- choices mm-hmm. that you wouldn't go back and make again. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming that therapy opened your eyes to some of the work that you do today and, and um, supported you in some way. Can you speak to that and talk about any type of transformation or anything you learned in that process? Yeah, my therapist, Virginia, and I I went to her for 16 years. I was with her from 12 until 28. I got married at 28 and yeah, 16 years straight. And then I moved with my husband to Kansas City after I got married. And one of the things that one of the first things that Virginia asked me to do in therapy was to draw a family photo. And she said, I would love for you to draw a family photo. So I did. I drew a photo of my sister reading a photo of my father with his briefcase because he always carried a briefcase. I had a an image of my mother towering over all of us yelling. And I had a photo of me, a little image of me, like a stick drawing of me in the corner, very small. And that really represented how I felt in my family, right? Like I was I'm the youngest in the family. I was the one that had to go to therapy at a young age, you know, and at that young age, when you're kind of like the designated patient in the family, you're like the scapegoat of the family. You feel really small. You know, you feel like I'm crying and thinking about it because, you know, I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to be the cause of pain in my family. But I, I, when I, when I was in therapy, I felt like maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe I just need to understand how to understand myself, like Virginia listening to me in all my bigness of emotions and I'd cry and I'd scream and I'd, I could curse my mother out. I could talk about the elephant in the room without being shamed. And so I realized that there, that there is a space for me to say it out loud. You know, I think the, the, the biggest, the hardest part was though, I was the one in therapy. Nobody else in my family was in therapy. Right. And in a family, it's a system. It's your, your, it's a system. It's a, and when one unit is broken or kind of, kind of just, um, you know, needs to be fixed, the, the entire system is fractured. Right. So I was the weakest link. That's what it felt like, but no one else in my family got help. So that's the part that often still brings tears to my eyes is that I got a lot of help in my family. And, um, that's just, that's just, it's, it's very normal in families, right? You, you find the one person, oh, you're the problem. But in a way, when I look, when I think about it, I'm, it almost worked in my favor because I was able to get so much help and be able to work on my mind and my emotional health. Mm-hmm. So that has really helped me in the work that I do with people, which is people don't need advice. You know, I mean, yes, we need advice. You, you know what I mean? But most often we just need a place where we can just 
say the things that we need to say, our insecurities, our vulnerabilities, our fears, our shame, our oh shit moments, you know, like our, just our very deep insecurities. We need to just be able to say it and we just need to be heard. You know, when we just hear ourselves saying it, we can almost start to start to make sense out of what we're saying as we're saying it because we're distancing ourselves from the voices in our head. And that's what Virginia taught me. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. So beautiful. So in addition to that experience with therapy and learning to say out loud what you'd probably been wanting to say for 12 years, what else was pivotal in your life during your teenage years or your early 20s that has led you to this work today? I would say not being accepted by people like constantly being on edge in school. Um, acceptance for me is a is a really huge thing. I I think that every single one, I know this, that every single one of us deals with something. We all have our thing, right? We all have our thing that we're working through. For me growing up as a teenager, I really wanted to fit in. I wanted to fit in. I wanted the boys to think I was pretty and no one thought I was pretty. I was called Gonzo growing up because I have a prominent nose. I mean, I love my nose. I was called um, Elvis because I was hairy. I mean, Indian girl problems. I mean, hair removal, <laughs> hair issues are a thing and I'm laughing about it, but it wasn't easy uh, walking into the cafeteria and having everyone make fun of me or walking into chemistry class and people saying Gonzo's here, you know, and being, I was so acutely aware of how, like, oh, I'm ugly. I felt ugly and I felt um, unattractive. And I just remember feeling like I don't belong in myself, right? Like I didn't belong at school. I didn't belong at home and I didn't belong to myself. And so for me, the work that I do, whether it's in my Say It Out Loud group or in the book that, I'm, that, that I've written to help people find a sense of belonging in their own minds and find a sense of belonging in their own homes. That's that, that really comes back to me not feeling a sense of belonging anywhere. And so my entire life, pretty much, I would say my teenage twenties and even up until my thirties and I'm 40 now has always been like, where do I belong? Where do I fit? Where? And ultimately it's like, no, I belong to myself, period. And the people who I resonate with will will come to me and I'll re and I'll go to them. But it's no longer like, where can I go to belong? I had to first find a sense of belonging within myself. And that's an everyday process for me, you know? Totally. And thank you for sharing that so openly. I resonate with parts of that. I was always really tall growing up. I was this height when I was about 10 years old. Um, ended up getting my period when I was nine years old. So I felt like a total freak because <laughs> um, yeah. my family developed so early. And um, I think we all go through that, like, where do I belong? How do I fit in? Do I fit in? And at some point, you know, there is a shift and you recognize some of the things that you made wrong for so many years, at least for me, are things you actually love about yourself. Mm -hmm. And but it takes time to get there. So I'm curious to know what were the steps that you took to get to the place where you do belong to yourself and you're really honoring and owning those unique traits and characteristics about you? Thank you for asking this question. I was actually thinking right before I was getting ready for this interview, I was like, man, I finally feel like I'm living now. I actually feel like now I'm living. I feel like the first 40 years of my life I had, it was, it was really a, uh, a 40 years of my life felt like I had to destroy a lot of stuff to get to now. I I feel like this is my life. 
you know, everything else was some watered down version of it or some second rate version of it. And I like, as I was getting ready and like putting on my makeup and putting on my, I'm like, oh, Vasavi, this is it. Like you're, this is your life. It's, 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 it's you know, it's, I just want to say it's still new for me, you know, because I've gone through a lot of stuff to get to a point where I can be like, this is who I am and it's still evolving. So I would say the first step that I took was, um, there were many steps. I had to destroy my life. I, I know that may sound counterintuitive. I know people want to hear maybe like I had to create a morning routine. I had to do this. All that, yes, has come. But for my journey, I had to destroy so many things in my li life. And the way that I went about that is to destroy parts of myself. It, I, I, I want to say this in a way that makes sense to people, but it's like, God has given me lots of opportunities in my life for me to question what the hell are you doing with your life, Vasavi? But I, I, I had to go through the stuff to then question what I was doing. So, you know, I'll, I'll take you back to post-divorce. I got divorced in 2014. And then um, basically from 2015 to 2019, I was um, engaging in a lot of substance abuse. I was using cocaine about five, four to five days a week. It got it got very bad. It just it's just a progressive addiction is a progressive disease. It, it gets worse, right? It's not going to get better. It just gets worse. And I never thought that I could go there. I never thought that I, Vasavi Kumar, Ivy League graduate, Columbia graduate, who comes from a Hindu Brahmin household, where like the highest caste. You know, I come from this very religious household. I never thought that I could go there. Uh, that I had the ability to go there. And I went there. I destroyed my life in a way. But the life that I was living wasn't even authentic in the first place, right? So it's like, uh, for me, I had to, it's like, it's almost like my soul subconsciously chose these situations for me to be in, for me to have to address my shadows, for me to have to address my low self-esteem, for me to have to address these darker parts of myself that were just waiting to come out. And for me, it came out through the form of, unfortunately, very unhealthy ways through codependent relationships and my addictions that I've had to deal with. So that's kind of the path that I took. I had to destroy. I mean, for me, I'm a huge believer in like, before I even begin to create something, I don't want more in my life until I get rid of what's no longer working. So for the first 40 years of my life, I got rid of a lot of stuff. I had a lot of stuff and then I got rid of a lot of stuff. And so what I want to say to anyone listening is like, before you add more to your life and before you want more, I always say, look at currently what you have. And instead of adding more on top of a faulty foundation, ask yourself, what do I have in my life that's actually helping me expand and move me towards what I want? And I'm a huge believer in removing people, places and things from your life. If it's not getting you closer to what you want, you have to remove. So um, that's that's the, my, that's been my journey is having to destroy and then create. So when you were in that path of destruction for five years, how did you see the light, so to speak, and start to come out of it? I'm a, you know this, we've talked about this, um, asking people for support. Um, the first time, I, I've been to rehab twice. I, the first time I went was in October of 2017. Um, probably two weeks before I was doing what I was doing and, you know, engaging in things. And it was, you know, 4 a.m. It was 4 a.m. And I heard a voice. This is the voice that I feel is the voice of God, the voice of reason. Um, but I remember a voice just saying it was 4 a.m., which means it was 5, 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, where my family's on the East Coast. And the voice in my head said, you need to call your sister. My sister is the one person I can talk to. She she doesn't have a freak out 
she's not a freaker out or my mom's a, the freak out in the family. I knew I could talk to my older sister. I just texted her and I said, I'm not doing well. Can you come here? And she called me literally an hour later and I was still under the influence. And I said to her, she goes, what's wrong? I go, oh, you know, nothing. Can, can you just come here? And then I finally just admitted everything to her. And um, her and my aunt actually came to Austin, Texas. They helped me pack up everything and they flew me back to Philadelphia. Um, where I went to rehab. I went to a state rehab center, which was pretty traumatizing. I'm not going to lie. Um, but for me, it was that voice in my head that I thought had died. Uh, the, I call it the voice of God, I call, or I, I call it the voice of reason. It's that, that voice of compassion that's like, you can do better than this. You are better than this, right? Um, and I thought that voice had died because I was so deep in my addiction at that point. And I always say, you know, the cure for addiction is not sobriety. The cure for addiction is connection back to oneself, to God, to a higher power. I thought I lost that, but I guess I didn't. So I'm very grateful that that voice was still, I heard it. I heard the voice and I don't know why I actually listened on that day. Uh, but I think it's because I just knew at that point, I, 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 my life had become unmanageable, you know, emotionally it become unmanageable and I needed help. I was so afraid that my mom was going to um, cut me off as a daughter. And I remember when we flew back to Philly and my mom opened the door for me, she just gave me a hug. She didn't make me feel small. She didn't shame me. And in that moment, I was just like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. You know? So once again, what I want your listeners to know is that no matter what point you are in your life, in your business, how low you feel, if you can just find a, the, just a little bit of strength inside of you, just a, even, a, even a mustard seed, you know, in the Bible, they say even just a mustard seed of courage to just ask somebody for that help. You literally have no idea your entire life can change. It's, you don't need a, an immense amount of courage. You really don't. You just need a little bit. Have you seen a mustard seed, Emily? Yes, you I have. Know how tiny a mustard seed, but that is literally all the courage that it takes to just be like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I do not know what I'm doing with my life. I do not understand this. If you just tap into that mustard seed of courage and just, you do not have to suffer in silence. And I think that's why I'm like, I'm the person that will just, you know, I'll call your husband or I'll just send your, vo your husband a voice and I'll be like, James, I have a quick question, you know, because I've healed that voice in my head that says, don't be a burden to people. Oh, don't bother people. I'm like, no, we want to get the help. And so I, I've trained myself and I, I do owe all those dark times that has allowed me to be the person to just ask for help. So. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, even in the last, I've probably known you a little over a year now, I've seen so much transformation and growth and just owning your voice and asking for support and putting yourself out there and vocalizing things you feel. Um, even, you know, this last year, I've seen such a huge transformation and shift. So I'm curious to know in the more recent years, um, you know, entering your forties, your late thirties, what were some of the things that created change for you or were the catalyst to this change? Cause I know that there were, you know, you, you went through rehab again, but like after that, what were some of the shifts that happened? So, um, this is going to sound silly, but the first thing that I did after the second time I went to rehab is I Googled, how do I love myself? I Googled that because the second time I went to rehab, I said, I went on my own. It wasn't because I ran out of money. It wasn't because my parents made me. I went. I wanted to stop the chaos. And that's the thing. No one really teaches us how to love ourselves. Truly, 
truly, truly. And I Googled like that's I want everyone to hear this because it's like there's literally no shame in this. And I Googled, how do I begin to love myself? And one of the first things that I read was and this sounds so silly. And you just took a sip of water because the first thing they said was start your day with hydration. Like here are a few simple uh, self-love practices. And it was like hydrate. And of course, my mind, who likes to complicate the hell out of everything, it's like it's not that easy. Why should I hydrate? But guess what? Water is an act of love. Drinking water and being hydrated is an act of love. I'm breaking it down because I really want people to know it's, it is the little things. We often think, oh, I got to up-level my whole wardrobe. Cool. Down, do that down the road. Cool. Oh, I have to, I have to make all this money. Yeah, great. But it's like, what about the little things? How would you take care of a young child? I had to learn from square one how to be the mother to myself. You know, I love my mother. She got me to this point. But from here on out, I had to be like, what does Vasavi need? What does loving Vasavi look like? Instead of needing a man to show me that, needing somebody else to show me that, I Googled it and I created and I found ways for me to love myself. So what that looks like is consistency. The biggest thing for me has been consistent, consistency in how I speak to myself, consistency in my sleep time, in my rise time. And, you know, there are some times that I stay up till 2 a.m. I stayed up till 2 a.m. finishing season two of White Lotus. I'm not mad about it. It was great. I had a great time, you know, but it's it's it's, it's about knowing yourself and understanding how do I need to be loved. And that's these are such some of the things that I did. And I, I know I bring up hydration, but it's like I think we. We forget that loving ourselves doesn't have to be complicated. It's the simplest thing sometimes that can really be the greatest act of love for ourselves. Um, the other thing that I want to say, and you're a part of this, is um, friendships. I want to give a shout out to Nita, because who's our mutual friend, who's been on this podcast, and you know we we all know each other here in Austin. Um, Nita and I reconnected a year and a half ago. And since connecting with her, my entire life has changed. And I told her that because she's such a huge gatherer of community. You know that. And um, for me, friendships are something that I've always wanted. But I, I don't think I really knew how to be a good friend. I did not. I didn't know how to be a good friend to others because I wasn't really a good friend to myself. I also wasn't honest with myself about my own needs. So how could I really be a good friend to somebody else and show up for them? So the biggest game changer for me has been community and it has been friendships and female friendships. Um, I've sought, you, you know, um, feeling good about myself through men in my life. I have, it's always been about, I need a man in my life because I was very close to my father. My father is, was my the most consistent man in my life. Um, I wasn't very close to my mom growing up. We had a, you know, we'd have a kind of a contentious relationship. So female friendships for me often threatened me. Um, not that I didn't want them, but I was scared that I would be rejected. I was afraid that they would cut me off because that was my experience of women. Biggest game changer for me is having not a lot, a few solid as a rock female friendships in my life. That has been, that has been everything for me in this past year. I don't know what I would do without uh, you, without Nita, with, the, with my other friend, Sylvie. I mean, I have so many people in my life. Not a lot of people, actually. I have few but solid quality people in my life. And that really matters to me. And that has helped me tremendously. Yeah. And I agree with, with you. And it shows, you know, it, 
in my own life it shows. But with you, one of the things I wanted to ask about is you're so great at vocalizing your appreciation and your love for other people. And I'm curious to know if you've always been like that or does that come through the self-love work that you've been doing over the last few years where you're vocalizing certain things to yourself and appreciating yourself first and then it feeds into every other relationship? Okay, so not to toot my own horn, but I've always been this way. I've been a, a, a I give what I've always wanted. Mm. I give appreciation because that's what I've always wanted. I didn't grow up in a house where there was a lot of cheerleading. There was coddling and criticism, right? My father coddled me. My mother criticized me. Um, and I just learned how to be my own cheerleader. And I really see the light in others. And, you know, I, once again, this is not poo-pooing on my parents. I love, I absolutely love them. They did the best that they can, but you know, we, we got to give ourselves what we didn't get. I didn't get the, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. It was more like, you need to do this. Why didn't you get that hundred? Why did you only get a 95? They did the best they could. I love, I know I just sent you and James a video. I was in the moment. I was just flowing and I go, I just want to let them know that I love them. It's important for me that people know how much they're appreciated because we are all in some shape or form suffering through our own thing. I know suffering may seem like a strong word, but it often feels like we're suffering. Like I'm suffering. Like you feel, you, you know, you're going through some stuff. I want to go back to my uncle who in India felt that there was no other way to survive. There was no other way to be other than to take his own life. And I'm like, what could his life have been if someone said, Hey, we love you. Hey, you're special to us. Because for you to get to the point where you think that the only way to the only way out is is to, to to kill yourself. Like that is not a way anyone, no one should have to feel that way. I mean, you know, I remember when I have felt that way and the voice in my head said, Vasavi, just, you know, give me a step-by-step -step way to take my own life. And I remember, thank God, I have some words of kindness in my head because my parents are very loving. You know, they are loving. And I, I could hear their voice and I would have to call my mom and tell her, I'm feeling kind of suicidal. I'm feeling like I want to just kill myself. My mom would say in the most gentle way possible, she goes, no, we love you. You don't need to do that, you know? So it's like, I know it's not extreme for a lot of people who are suffering, but like when I send you a video and I let you know how much I care about you, it's because I feel that love. Why should I keep that love in my, in my heart? And you know, in the Indian culture, there's a saying, and it's the worst saying in the world. It's you shouldn't praise your kids in front of them because then they're going to get arrogant. And I'm like, God damn it, if y'all would have just praised me, you know, maybe I would have felt like I was good enough, you know? And so for me, like, if I appreciate you, Emily, or if I appreciate a friend, I'm going to tell you to your face because you need to know. Why should I keep that in my heart? If I feel that way about you, you should know that. That isn't that the point of love. Man, I'm a hot mess right now. Why should I? I mean, just think about people who are suffering. If they just knew that one person loved them, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no. If, if people just knew that that they were loved, they wouldn't have to go to such extremes. You know, I mean, think about your worst days that you've experienced. What has gotten you through it? Some something or someone saying to you, "You're going to be okay, Emily." You know, so why should I hold that and hoard that love? There's plenty more where it came from. The more I give it, the more I get it. It's just, and I'm just a spring of love. Why would I keep that to myself? That's stupid. Mm. I don't keep that to myself. If I feel it, I'm going to say it. That That's it, you know? So, and I feel it. 
Yeah. So yeah. I, man, I shouldn't have worn this mask. <laughs> Hopefully it's not video. No, I love it. I love the vulnerability. And I wanted you to share this because I want to encourage all the listeners who do have love in their heart, all of us do, you know, for friends, for spouse, for family members, whoever it may be, clients, to actually express it instead of just keeping it within, saving it for that once a year birthday card or whatever it may be, actually put it out there on a regular basis because you're right. It can be the difference maker. It can be the thing that helps somebody move through their biggest challenge or their darkest day. And we all feel it for people, but it's not something that's like readily shared in the way that you do. And I've really noticed that and appreciated it over the last year because I have a lot of beautiful, amazing friends who I know are heart-centered who care about me a lot, but not everyone vocalizes it. And same with me. I don't vocalize it to everyone in my life. So I just appreciate that and and know that you're an amazing example for everyone listening. I want to also share this. Uh, I want to just segue into business for a second, because the one of the things I'm sure you hear this all the time with your clients, and I hear this too with, with my people in my Say It Out Loud group who are like afraid to get on camera and share. I'm training people to be like, listen, if you've been through something in your life and you've gone through, you've gotten through your darkest days, it is literally your job to say it and to share it right? That's the 12th step of the 12th step program is that we pay it forward. I I'm like, you know, someone said to me the other day, Voss, you're so vulnerable and transparent. I go, why the hell did I go through all this stuff? I went through all this stuff and I'm out on the other side. You best believe I'm going to help another person because I know I'm not 8 billion people on this planet. I'm not the only one who's gone through this. So I take it as my Dharma, which in, in our, uh, in our religion or in Sanskrit means your duty. It is my duty having gone through what I've gone through, like it is my job, not just my job, you know, that pays bills, not that. It is my job as a human being on this planet. I've been given this life. I've been through my life. I've gone through what I've gone through. It is my job to say it out loud. It is my job to share it because now that I've come out on the other side, now it's my job to help other people. But I had to get through it. I had to get through it. And so if you're a thought in my mind and I have a, if I have a thought, I'll send you a voice note because God put the thought of you in my head. So I got to reach out to you. And it, it takes a second, Emily, to literally say, I'm thinking of you. It takes a second to just get on camera and be like, Hey, I had this thought today. Maybe someone needs to hear this. And just think about even in your own business, how your business would look and feel for you if you allowed yourself to express yourself. Cause you never know who's going to need what you have to say. You need to hear that you know? Totally. And you're so amazing at that. I know you've even had some segments recently on the news and just some bigger media opportunities. And James and I were chatting about a recent one where somebody had the audacity to put a negative comment below the video, Mm -hmm. um, referencing drugs and Mm -hmm. asking basically what you were on in that Mm -hmm. interview. And you decided to comment and to respond to it. Can you talk a little bit about why you made that decision and any recommendations you have for people who do decide to share their story and be visible and are met with comments like that or people not understanding them or anything derogatory that comes from that experience? Yes, absolutely. And just to give a little context for your audience, you know, I was sharing about something and, you know, I'm, I'm high energy. I have a tendency to talk fast. I've been working on slowing down my speech, but you know, when I'm in it and I'm passionate, I talk fast. And it's something that I actually give myself 
permission to do because that just means I'm in flow. And someone commented, oh, she seems like she's high on cocaine. And I first, I first saw it, it hurt. It did, because I've always been told to slow down. My, my, all my teachers growing up said, Vasavi talks too fast. My mother would say, calm down, relax. Those were very big trigger words for me. Calm down and relax are very, not anymore, because I, I tell myself that now. I got, I got, was hurt a little bit. And then I said to myself, this is a teachable moment. This is a teachable moment. Hey, I know what I've been through, Emily. I know the stuff that I've gone through. I, there's no part of me that has shame around my story. I openly come on here, talk about my struggles with cocaine in the past. I talk about my recovery. I talk about my relationship to, to, to my recovery and all of that. So I'm at peace with that part of my life. So I was like, we could turn this into a piece of content. So I said, you know, and instead of, mm, you know, making it about that person, I took their, what they did. And I wanted to share, you know, stop just saying things. Cause you don't know. Like I own the fact that I, I used to be a cokehead, like straight up. I have no shame around it. That was one identity in my life. I was a cokehead back in the day. Like I can say that. And I have no shame. I'm not that anymore. That version of Vasavi was a very hurt, troubled, empty version of me. So I use that as a teachable moment. Everything is a teachable moment. And I use that as an opportunity to be a leader and to be an example of how to deal with people who um, say things, you know, when they just talk without thinking, because you never know. So I used it as a, as a moment to hopefully bring about more awareness to mental health, to addiction. And, you know, like I said in that video, sometimes you don't need to say things out loud. <laughs> sometimes you need to just not Crazy. say things. You never yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. So another more recent story that I want you, I'd love for you to share with the audience is this experience of purchasing real estate in another country, because my audience in particular loves stories like this and they want to be inspired. They want to know how they can do all these big things and make it happen and manifest their dreams. So can you share a little bit more? I'm going to share exactly because I think people, I, I, I like to take away the mystery from everything. I don't yeah. want people to think it's mysterious. I like things to be accessible. So I went to Playa del Carmen. I've been going to Mexico every year since I was a kid. You know, I go to Miami, I go to Mexico, I travel all over. But I um, I went to Playa del Carmen. It was my second time going. I've been to Cancun and Tulum. I went last year. I went in 2021, right? Yeah, 2021. Road bikes, had the full playa experience. It was great. Like I just, I had the best time. And there were all these construction properties. It was all like pre-construction. Things were just, I was just looking around and I was like, why can't I? Like I asked myself, like, why can't I do this? Like, what does it really take? And so while I'm still in Playa del Carmen, first day that I was there, first or second day, I went on Facebook and I looked up Playa del Carmen Realtors because I knew I could not do this alone. I would get a realtor if I was in the US. Why would I not do that in Playa? The first person who responded was a woman named Sophie. We still talk on WhatsApp. She picked me up from the airport when I came in December to first see my condo. And we reached out within the third or fourth day. I was in Playa for about nine days, I think. Yeah, so it was on the third day, third and fourth day, she took me to eight properties. I said, I cannot see more than eight properties. I get overwhelmed. I go, I'll know right away. I, I can't do more than eight. So we looked and we looked and we ran the numbers, ran the numbers. We finally settled on one, uh, the property that I have now. The location was phenom, like a block from the ocean, uh, right on at the end of Fifth Avenue, which is where all the restaurants, all the bars. I mean, it's it's location. Real estate is all about location. I was like, OK, great. 
We walked through the construction site. Like I literally didn't even have like images and renderings, but I was like, cool, this is good enough. And I had, I was clear on one thing. I was clear on that. I wanted the condo to be a turnkey operation. I wanted it to be furnished, designed, decorated. Cause I was not trying to do all that. Um, so that was great. And then I talked to the uh, builder and he was like, do you want ocean view? And I was like, no, I don't need to be spending $80,000 more on my first property. And if you're coming to fly out, be at the ocean, you don't need an ocean view, right? Like I just wanted this to be a, a yes. I ended up getting the property for $128,000. This is what I want your audience to hear. When I so I put down, a, so before I left Playa, I said, what do I need to do to just secure this unit? I'm unit 415. He said $5,000 deposit. I said, no problem. I sent him a $5,000 deposit. I go, give me one week to figure out how I'm going to come up with the rest of the money. He said, okay. So I came back home and um, I started asking for loans from the banks. Everyone turned me down um, because I don't have any assets, you know, everyone turned me down. The house that I live in now was a gift from my mother and father. Um, you know, in the Indian culture, you know, I don't have kids, so they're not sitting here raising my kids, which is very common in the Indian culture. They bought me a house and they wanted me to have a sense of safety having gone through everything that I went through. So this was a gift to my parents' house. It's not under my name. So I really could not get a loan against this house. I was like, okay, I called like six or seven banks. Then I did the thing that I did not want to do. I called my mother and I said to her, and this is what I really want your audience to hear is play the cards that you've been dealt. Okay. I've been dealt a set of very good cards and I'm not ashamed of it. I have parents who have made very good choices in their life and um, I'm grateful for that. So I put aside my pride, which is what my recovery taught me to ask for the help. My mom has said, so how's the bank loan stuff going? I go, they're all rejecting me. And she goes, how much is it? I go, it's going to be $128,000. She goes, you put down 5,000. And I said, yeah, she goes, so you need, so I, I agreed on two payments of 64,000. She goes, so you need $59,000 right now. And I said, yeah. And she goes, you're going to need another 64,000 down the road. I said, yes. And she said, I'll do it. And so I asked my mother and she said, yes. And interest-free and asking that's, and that's how I have, that's how I paid for the condo. I'm one third through paying my mother and me Having that with my mom, having to owe my mother that money has been so healing for us because I've broken her trust way too many times that I'd like to admit in my addiction. I've let her down, said I was going to come visit, not visit. And so when she agreed for me, that was like, oh my God, this woman believes in me. You know, she believes in me. She didn't even see the, my mom asked all the questions. She, you know, she asked, but she hadn't seen the property. I showed her some rendering. She just believed in me and she let me borrow the money. And that's why I'm here. And I'm still paying my mom back. And this past year has been a year of just, uh, I've been bringing in and just paying down that debt and solidifying my relationship to my mother, with my mother, that trust that that was broken is now healed. She, she, she trusts me. She trusts me and she's like, you're going to do it. And that's how I did it. I asked my mom and she helped me. So amazing. I love that story so much. I love that you released any feeling of ego or pride and you just asked for what you needed. I love that she clearly like sees so much in you and sees so much growth and sees what you're capable of and didn't even ask that many questions and was just a yes. Mm -hmm. And I also love you've been demonstrating to me behind the scenes because we are friends and of course to your community on social media, what happens when you follow the desire? Because I always tell people it's never about the thing. It's about who you become in the process to getting the thing. 
And so can you talk a little bit about the transformation that's come, not just from your relationship with your mom, but with yourself and any deeper understanding of who you are, what you're here to do, any confidence that's increased. And of course, there are also moments with big up levels where we kind of crash and there are, you know, dark days as well because we have upper limits. So can you just speak to some of the transformation? Yeah. So the, actually, this will be the, probably the first time that I'm maybe talking about this. Uh, I was in the ocean in Playa del Carmen. Uh, I've been, you know, every morning when I was there visiting, uh, when I first got my condo, I woke up every morning, three minutes, walked to the ocean, spent my morning in the ocean, got my iced coffee. And I remember one morning I was in the ocean and I felt so good. And the voice in my head was like, Vas, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Right. As I'm in the ocean, enjoying the morning breeze. And that's when I was like, oh my God, I need to increase my pleasure point. I realized this is the biggest transformation for me, Emily, is my pleasure point has increased. I'm still working on it. I'm not, I mean, I've gone through a lot of shit in my life, so I'm still working on increasing that pleasure point. I don't actually want everything in my life all at once. I don't really know if I'm, I can handle that right now, but I love that it's increasing. So that is the biggest transformation is the amount of pleasure and feeling good about myself and confidence is increasing. The voice of, can I do this? Can I handle this? It's getting quieter. And going to Mexico, doing this stuff on my own, like literally getting on a plane, going there, meeting the builders, doing the Google translating everything, figuring out like, it's like, I didn't know what I didn't know until I got there and I had to become this person. That's like, I didn't know how it was all going to happen. And I, I, every day when I was in Mexico, I was like, boss, stop doubting yourself. You got this. Like, it's just that part of me that we, that by the way, exists in every single one of us. I'm not, I'm no more special than anybody else. We literally all have this part inside of us. And when we start to tap into it, it is like, it is, it, 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 it is the greatest source of like, anything that you want to create. I'm just scratching the surface, it feels like. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with just scratching the surface because there's so much more where it comes from, right? It's like, I didn't know, how am I going to do this? Or what is a, okay, so please don't laugh at me. It was like the closing, right? I, I got to go back. I had to, I had to go back to, I have to go back um, to do the closing and do all that. And I was like, I asked the lawyer, I'm like, what's the closing? Like, what is, like, I'm, I'm okay with, sounding stupid. I, I don't have that type of pride where it's like, I sound stupid for asking this. I don't need to be the smartest person in the room, right? I want, I don't know. I didn't know what a closing was like, what are closing costs? What, like I'm, you know what? I'm not ashamed to admit it because now I know. Now I know. How the hell am I supposed to know? This house was gifted to me. I never had to close on anything. So I'm not sitting here trying to act like, oh, I know everything. No, I don't know everything. And, but there are people that do. And so for me, the confidence that I have is I'm going to be able to figure it out because there are 8 billion people on this planet. And even if I don't know, somebody knows. And I just meet people everywhere because I'm like, hey, I'm so excited to be here. And people want to be around me. And God only is putting amazing people in my life. And that's really what it is. It's like I've unlocked this like, yes, I can do it. I can. Do and it's like that's contagious. And people oh, yeah, wanna, you're magnetic. Thank you. I feel like it. And I know I'm, like, I'm just like, I'm really proud of myself. And I want your audience to know, like, that's why I wanted to give you that step-by-step. -step. I literally went on Facebook, Facebook groups and looked up realtors 
That's, that was my first step. I didn't worry about where am I going to get the money. I said, first, let me see the place. Let me just, because I love putting myself in settings. I believe in being in proximity. So I go, let me just walk through a few places. Let me just see what it would be. And that's what I did. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I did. Yeah. But that's the thing. Most people wouldn't even take that first step. Their mind would immediately go to, oh, it's not possible. So I'm not even going to try. And you at least put yourself in the setting and then you just take it day by day, step by step. And you figured it out. You didn't need to know the how right then and there. And I also, I wanted to add one thing, the, one of the, the second biggest learning lesson, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. So I'm going to say this. I never thought I was as indecisive as I am. I, this trip, if anything, taught me that when I do not make a decision, I actually get more stressed out. And I was listening to, I bet, I think it was Jen Gottlieb. I forgot who it was, but she said, make the decision. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Either way, you're going to grow from it. So that is my new mantra. That is my new way of being. It's like, boss, just make the decision. Um, because of everything I've gone through in my life and the really unhealthy decisions I've made, I'm like, I noticed I, in this situation, I was so afraid of messing it up. I was so afraid of effing it up. I was so afraid of um, not making my parents proud. And I was just like, oh my God, all of this is actually keeping me stuck. So when I had my breakdown, which was on my second or third day at Playa, it was because I was swimming in indecision. Which property manager should I hire? How much percentage? And even in that moment, I called up Ajit, who you know is Nita's husband. I go, Ajit, I would usually talk about this with my dad. Can I run some numbers with you? Which I asked him, he spent five minutes with me on the phone. I figured it out. So see, even those moments, I was like, I, I needed my fatherly figure. And I'm not saying Ajit is a dad. I just needed that. He's a calm force for me, Ajit, right? And we just mm -hmm. talked numbers. We talked business. It was great. He helped me. I, I settled on a property manager. And so biggest lesson I want your audience to hear is just make the decision. Just, you got to just make the decision and you got to trust that no matter what, it's going to be okay. Like, obviously, consult with people. Please do that. Consult with your mentor. You know, spend that time in, in quiet. Um, I eventually ended up choosing a property manager, uh, Vacasa, that takes a 25% clean cut and that's it. And I was weighing out all my options. I didn't want to pay monthly fees. I just want to do a clean percentage and that's it. They have a huge advertising budget. I knew I'd be on all the platforms and that's what you want to bring in rental income. You want to be on all the platforms, which I don't have to deal with. They do the photos. They So I was very clear on, I did not want to do all this. I'm mm -hmm. not trying to manage my property. So let me pay somebody a little bit more of a percentage to do this. And then I don't need to manage my property manager. This is not the season for controlling at all. This is the season of Passive income. Great. Let's just have it run like a, like a well-oiled ship, a tightly run ship, and they can do that. So really trusting other people and just making the decision. If they don't work for me, I'll find somebody else, but we got to start somewhere, you yeah. know? So make that decision. That, that was huge for me too. Yeah. You can't mess this up. If you love this episode with Vasavi Kumar, you are in for a treat. She's going to be one of our guest teachers in the I Heart My Life membership coming up very soon. So go to iheartmylife.com slash membership and join us starting today. You can join for a small monthly fee or you can pay in full for a whole year and save. Either way, this is a community that you're going to want to be a part of to learn from every single day, to get access to the world's best teachers and mentors, and to truly create a life that's better than your dreams. So check it out. So before we get to the final question, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your incredible book. 
I know we have it. Yeah. So my I know, incredible we book. About the book. It's about all this stuff, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what, you know, everything that we've been talking about is a result of learning mm-hmm. to talk to the voices in your head, right? I mean, that's the whole point of this book is for you to heal those voices in your head, the voice of resistance, the voice of uh, criticism, you know, and you want to, you want to be kinder and more encouraging and understanding and really be the teacher, the leader, the coach, the therapist, the friend, the sister, the mom, the dad that you've needed your whole life. And you get to be that for yourself. And in doing that, you then start to attract other people into your life. Everything that I have in my life, I would say boils down to two things. I have excellent, excellent self-talk. Um, and I, by the way, I'm great at self-talk because I have really crappy self-talk. I just want everyone to know the reason why I'm so good at my self-talk and, and, and talking to myself is because I have lived a life of self-loathing for so long. So I'm good at this because I wasn't so good at it. And the second thing is people. I'm not afraid of people. I'm not afraid of anybody, to be honest. And I, I move through this world knowing that God has always been with me and that everyone who has been put into my life is here for a reason. And it's up to me to use my discernment and my judgment to be like, is this person bringing me closer Does this person expand me? Does this person subtract from me? Does this person enhance my life? Um, I I recently shared this on my Instagram. I really don't listen to what people say. I I listen to everything and nothing. What matters most to me is how I feel in your presence. When you do this work of talking to yourself and learning to talk to yourself out loud, you will reconnect with your mind. You will reconnect with your body and you'll begin to feel more at home with yourself you will be a safe space for yourself. And from safety, anything can be created. Because when we when we feel safe, our creativity blooms, our expression blooms. You know, think about when you're feeling safe, you're with the safe, who's the safest person that you know in, in your life? James. James. Mm-hmm. You are just, you know, every, I mean, and look at what you've created. Look at what y'all have created because y'all are safe spaces for each other. Imagine if we can be that for ourselves first too right? Who we attract into our lives. So that's the point of this. And Mm -hmm. when you learn how to be kinder, gentler, more compassionate, encouraging with yourself, you can do anything. I promise you that. Yes. So good. So we'll link all the information about the book in the show notes so people can find it. What's the title? Say it out loud using the power of your voice to hear your deepest thoughts so you can courageously pursue your dreams. I probably just messed up my own subtitle. I'm just excited. But it's using the power of your voice to hear your deepest thoughts so you can courageously pursue your dreams. And the name of the book is Say It Out Loud. I always mess up my subtitle because I remember I went through like five options. Yeah, that's, I'm still like, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's it's a whole process. I I honestly, I think that's what the subtitle is. I've looked at it so many times. It was just like a blur to me. Yeah. So the final question I have is when we ask all of our guests here, we believe that we're far more capable than we give ourselves credit for, as you've illustrated time and time again in every chapter of your life. And I'd love to know what is one way people can create a life that's better than their dreams and far exceeds their expectations? Wow. Okay. I really am a firm believer of people like needing to feel themselves. Like you really need to look in the mirror and like, you got to feel that. Right. And I think we think more about the external thing that we want, but like in order to create 
that life that's far uh, more than your expectations, I want you to feel yourself. I want you to really look in the mirror or maybe that's when you're driving in the car and you have your favorite music, you're ready, you know, you, you know, you could smell your perfume on you. Maybe you have your nice iced coffee with you, whatever. You got to feel yourself. You got to really just be like, God damn, I'm awesome. You it, From that place of like just absolute attraction to yourself, like, you know, when I look in the mirror, I'm like, God damn, I look good. You know, you want to feel um, like you just want to feel magnetic. You want, you, you, you want to be drawn to yourself, right? Like that's what I want people is to like look in the mirror and it, you don't need to have all your hair done, makeup done like that. That's not what this is about. It's not the outside you want to, that's fine. But it's really every single day finding at least one thing, if not more that you can be like, I'm amazing. Like you have to be the one to tell that to yourself. Um, my father, I love him very much at his, at, at our, he gave the father of the bride speech, obviously in my wedding. And he said, one thing about Vasavi is this, she'll always tell you how awesome she is. And everyone laughed, but it's so true. If you can't share how amazing you are through your words and just through your, I would just whatever, like if you don't own who you are and like, you don't um, express, like you don't have to say like, oh, I'm so awesome, but it's just an energy, right? Like if you don't, who else will? right? You want to be that magnet. And so every single day, something to make you feel like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. Like, you know, like even today, like I have this new sweatshirt on, I got a little, you know, I'm like, I feel good. It's not a lot. It's not excessive, but it feels good to me. So really make prioritizing your pleasure and feeling good about yourself. You deserve to feel good about yourself and who you are as a person. Everything will come to you. I promise. Hmm. So good. Thanks. Well, I am not envious of our editors who are going to try and pull sound bites from this because there's like a billion. <laughs> You're so amazing. And I'm sure everyone listening is so inspired and just on fire for life and ready to go out and say it out loud, make their dreams happen, transform and live life to the fullest because that's definitely what you've demonstrated today. So thank you. Thank you, Emily, for having me. And we'll link all of your social media, website, all of that below, of course, information about the book. Maybe we could even put a link to the rental property in Mexico. Oh, yes. You're more than welcome to stay. And I just want to share um, the name of my condo is called the Om Shanti Condo. And I named it after my father, Shanti. And when we FaceTimed and I told him, you know, like I said, he's not very expressive, but he's happy. I just want them to be proud. They're proud of me. They are. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you, Vasavi. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Heart My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag IHurtMyLifeShow. That's hashtag IHurtMyLifeShow. And if you'd like to help me personally, then please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us some stars, cheer us on, and leave a review because believe it or not, that stuff actually really does help. And I read all of them. Please remember everything you desire is meant for you and possible. Keep showing up, taking action, and believing in your dreams.